Welcome to another episode of the Unhindered Podcast. What's up with neck pillows? While Elliot and I were waiting to board our flight to the US, uh, we saw that Catherine had kindly packed us a couple of inflatable neck pillows, but we looked at each other and realised they just weren't going to do, especially when across the foyer were some award-winning, doctor-certified, sleep-guaranteed, top-of-the-line neck pillows that just were looking at us. So I thought, why not? Let's travel like kings. So we bought a pair of them. Kid you not, they had been uh, awarded the number one neck pillow at the International Neck Pillow Competition, if such a thing exists. And uh, we, we got them. Great, excellent, sleep guaranteed, doctors approved, yes. You know, five minutes into the flight, you realise they're a piece of shit like every other neck pillow you've got. The 15 other neck pillows, you know, filling up space in your cupboard at home. Just a disaster. I don't get it. They look so good, so, so good. I don't know, maybe I've got a long neck. Maybe that's the problem. I mean, who's handing out these awards? Who's running the tests? What is this neck pillow convention they're talking of? What do we got chimpanzees running these award ceremonies? I don't understand it. But look, neck pillows aside, we had an amazing time. I think uh, probably the best parenting decision of my life to get Elliot over there. I'm sure it'll change him. I'm sure there's a bunch of experiences uh, associated with just travel in general, the uncertainty of travel, having to be flexible, having to handle situations that are outside your comfort zone, what's normal, and seeing parts of the world that are very different. Realising how much privilege we have living where we are, life-changing. So, look, to be honest, I'm on a bit of a parenting high. I, I had that win with Elliot, and then I get home and Amity, who, like, I I gave her some parenting advice that wasn't well received <laughs> maybe a year ago. I said, darling, look, uh, if I could tell you one thing, if you could just take one thing from me on your merry way into the big bad world, it would be that you, you have the ability to use your car as a university. You have access to the world's leading thinkers at your fingertips, on your phone. You can listen to anything that interests you. You can learn any skill set in the world in the comfort of your car. Turn your car into a university. And she said, Dad, my car's more like a whorehouse than a university. So, no. <laughs> so, look, but when I get home, I discover that my daughter, this the one and only, the same Amity W. Fraser has finished reading The Four Agreements, uh, The Magician's Way, The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F, and my own, my very own Elegantly Simple Solutions to Complex People Problems. Uh, She has understood the breathtakingly powerful Six Core Needs model from Big Tony Robbins and realized when you can separate behavior from intention, that is the missing piece in allowing you to go back and review past mistakes, failures, and disappointments, which is the very thing getting in the way of you trusting your nature now, assuming there's some deep, dark problem with you that you must therefore manage yourself to stop the worst part of you coming out and taking over. She's seen it. She's understood that that's a mistake. That's a misunderstanding. And I did all of that by leaving a few books out for her while I was over the other side of the world. So. I'm going to take that as a win. I'm going to put that up in the W column for parenting. So I'm riding pretty high at the moment. Uh, 
But if I had to reflect on what it was about the US that I think was most impactful for Elliot, probably a couple of things, but, uh, you know, 16-year-old teenage boy, the tendency to kind of feel like the world is, or adults are a bit complicated and uh, shrink back into a simple existence of, you know, watching TV, playing computer games, riding your bike, and letting adults sort out the complexity of the world, assuming you, you couldn't handle the level that they're playing at. So he, he made a comment to me that I thought was very profound while we were in the US. He said, Dad, I, I just can't believe how friendly people are here. I wish they were that friendly back in Australia. And I said, well, yeah, we've had some lovely experiences with some very friendly people. We've made We've made friends everywhere we've traveled. We've struck up conversations and made friends with people. And I asked him, did you observe what preceded their friendliness? Did you see how their friendliness came out? And he thought about it and realized that in each case, their friendliness had been preceded by me engaging them. I'd lent in. I'd asked a question. I'd struck up a conversation. I'd got into their world and they responded well. And I said, that's it. If you treat people well, if you expect them to be friendly and believe yourself a friendly person and assume that they would like you, then it turns out they more than often do. So, you know, there's all kinds of things I've told Elliot over the years, but this one seemed to hit home. And so much so when we're on our flight to Atlanta, where we're on separate seats, I watched him experiment. (laughs) He was nervous about, you know, not sitting with me. Uh, sitting beside strangers but i watched him engage the person on his left and his right and it well it went well for him uh, i reckon that alone will stick with him forever just that people are inherently good you treat people as though they have a heart speak to them from your heart um, the other thing too was you know as a parent you always say to your kids you know look you can tell me anything i'm always here if you whenever you need to talk about stuff i'm, I'm all ears so but i mean there's stuff you're probably never going to tell your parents. It's just, I mean, they're your mum and dad, so it's pretty weird. Um, but I watched my sister-in-law when we got to visit them in Guatemala. Uh, I, I watched her engage Elliot and hold a space for him. And um, she, on the, on the last night we were there, she said that uh, she was putting all the kids to bed. You know, they've got three of their own kids and four adopted kids so she was doing the rounds and noticed Elliot was sitting on the lounge um, just a bit quiet and she asked him what was happening and uh, if he was okay and if he wanted to talk and he said yeah yeah actually that'd be good and they spent the next two hours um, talking through through the night and um, she just said like for a shy kid for a kind of a, a kid who's quite reserved who's a little bit nervous and awkward socially who doesn't often speak up who waits for others to speak to him for him to find a safe space to actually have all the conversations to talk about every single thing he'd like to talk about and for her to be capable of holding that space for him um you know i reckon there are some people that go their whole life and never have someone else with the skill to do that let alone for him to have that experience at 16 uh, and then to watch him continue group chats and FaceTimes with his cousins and his aunt and, and moving on from there and just notice him come home with um, an, 
a level of confidence in his ability to to talk, to speak, to not have to get it right, but just it's going to be okay. You you can you can bring yourself to conversations and to relationships, and you're going to be okay. You have enough. You have enough skill. You have enough language. You have enough understanding. You're okay. So, I think that'll be extremely life changing. Uh, but not only was it life changing for him, it, it really was life changing for me. You've got to understand that. Uh, whatever story you've heard me tell about the U.S. watching my socials, and um, of course I'm going to share the highlight reel and the things that are great. You've got to understand that getting on that plane, uh, there was a high level of uncertainty about this trip. I mean, I'd I'd said yes off the back of a smell of an oily rag. Really, um, the opportunity to speak at the NLP Global Convention in Vegas. I mean, I'm a little like Kramer. If you've seen that Seinfeld episode when He's negotiating with the restaurant who's given him coffee that was too hot and he's going in to see if he can get some kind of compensation and they offer him free coffees. They were going to offer him a bunch of other things too, but the moment he hears free coffee come out, I'll take it. I mean, so not dissimilar to that, the the thought of being invited to speak internationally. Yes, yes, I'm I'm in. Of course I'm in. Now, uh, when I looked at the details of what I'd said yes to, there was not much certainty. I wasn't getting paid to speak, and there was no guarantee of the size of the audience, no guarantee on the return on investment. Um, and so then I thought, well, okay, to really make this work, I need to get some other work in the US. So then I had a, a partnership event in Austin, Texas, with, a, with the owner of a co-working space, um, who thought it likely that he could get 150 small business owners and entrepreneurs in a room and, and have me, host me, speaking to them. So I have a belief that if I'm in the room with those kind of people, it's going to go well for me. They are my people. Uh, I have a message that's unique to those people and solves a problem that I'm not sure anyone else in the world can solve better than me. So of course that will go well for me. So I thought the likelihood of being able to generate enough income from this speaking event in Austin to cover the flights and my time and actually uh, you know make the trip profitable is highly likely so I'm in I I said yes and then it got worse because then I thought well hang on a minute what if I could also find a way to bring Elliot that would seem like an amazing thing to do for him for me Um, all right so sure and look I've got these got these 150 people that I'm speaking to so it's going to go well for me, so it doesn't really matter. I'm not getting paid for the first event. This is going to work. And so then you heard me tell the story a few weeks ago around um, it all falling apart in Austin and there being no event. And you know, three weeks from getting on a plane, it's all fallen apart and I've only got the free event I'm speaking at in Vegas. Um, I scramble, try and hustle my way to some other event in Austin, can't pull anything off. So at the last minute, just book a ticket at a networking event you know um 45 minutes kind of from the city and uh, well at least there's something in austin i'm already going there i've got flights and accommodation booked and it really it gutted me i i really was knocked for a six because i don't like over promising and under delivering Catherine has been she had to hang on for a wild ride frequently in in my entrepreneurial journey because i am an optimist i do back myself um and that's hard for her because she can't see what I can see. So all she can see is the fruit and sometimes it doesn't look like there's a lot. So to kind of not only 
convinced her it was a good idea for me to, to expend that time and money to go overseas, but then to also double the expense and take Elliot with me. Um, big call for her to go, yeah, okay, let's do that. And then for my plans to fall apart, um, really hard conversation. Um, she was very, very loving and beautiful about it and and didn't just concede that, oh, well, it's already too late. She, she did feel that good would come out of it um, and, and I went with her blessing. But you got to understand, I got on the plane under a lot of pressure, uh, facing a, a high level of uncertainty going over there, really wanting to make Elliot have a beautiful experience to really facilitate that for him and to be very present and do all kinds of fun things in the US, maybe maybe things he will never get to do in, in the rest of his life. So to tick some boxes. Um, but primarily I wanted to make it work from a business setting. So... Uh, you know, Elliot doesn't really know the uncertainty of mine, or I'm just his dad, and I'm, as his dad, I, I make things work, and so he trusts me. I'm, I'm safe for him, so he, I don't, I don't show him that you know what I'm carrying. Um, I don't think that's necessary for him to see at the moment. So, anyway, we get to LA. Um, he's disappointed. Uh, LA. He thought LA, LA would be much more colourful, and he's very overwhelmed by the smell of marijuana everywhere. Um, so we go to Venice Beach. It's a little underwhelming. I think it's had its heyday uh, maybe 30 years ago. Uh, it's it's a little lifeless. Uh, anyway, we get to the Lakers game, which is good. He's not particularly into basketball, but um, it's a great photo op and some content for the gram, which he seizes that opportunity. And I'm, you know, I, I am a huge LeBron fan. To me, seeing someone who is perhaps arguably the greatest of all time in the flesh. Um, you know, that may be a once-in-a-lifetime experience. And so to get there and then see he's injured, I was like, oh, man. You know, I could have found a way in my mind to justify coming all that way. If everything else fails, but I got to see LeBron play, you know, maybe that's enough meaning for this trip. But LeBron's not even playing. So, yeah, it was nice to watch the Lakers and, and be in that centre and see a game, but um, not all that I'd hoped. Uh, you know, then hiring a convertible Mustang, and driving through the desert from LA to Vegas. That was exceptional. Death Valley took my breath away. That that exceeded my expectations. And doing a lap of the strip in Vegas, um, what is that place? Like the energy of that city uh, and to do it with the hood down at night. Um, <laughs> unbelievable. Both of us were just gobsmacked by that experience. But then we get to the, ho- the hotel where uh, you know I'm speaking at and the first sign of trouble is that it's it's off the strip. It's not not one of the main ones. In fact, it's it's a little way out of out of the way, and it's a, it looks a little rundown when we get there. And uh, you know, it's okay because this has been billed as a you know one of the biggest, if not the biggest, NLP convention in the world, and it's all going to be okay. And I've come all this way, and of course, it's going to be amazing. And then I get to the speakers' um, drinks event um, as I get there. And, uh, both the organisers couldn't make the event last minute uh, pulled out due to sickness so we've got a sub in host who's not there yet and the speakers are all at sixes and sevens wondering what's happening and things aren't looking good then I make it to the room the next morning and and uh, the room's a lot a lot smaller than I imagined and the vibe is a lot different than I imagined and the new host is very very different than I'd thought um, and, I, and this wave of nausea, this disappointment washes over me. And you go, oh wow, this was the this was the thing that had to work, and I don't think it's going to work. And you know, people do get sick, right? So I'm I'm not 
I'm not angry at anyone and I I know how hard events are to run and so <laughs> like uh, but it's it's devastating I'm in there going wow um, all this way and then I hear the first session and it's okay and um, I'm, I'm up in the afternoon and so I've got to find a way to regroup and so here, here to me is where is where this trip had the value here is here is where my life changed on this trip so while the next speaker's on you know maybe it looks like i'm taking notes for them but i i've grabbed my journal and i've zoned out open my pen take a breath i i gotta find something here and so and in deconstructing like it's taken me a few weeks to actually really examine all that happened there and put it put it um, in some kind of structure and I think that that'll be really useful for you to understand what I did and useful for me I, I'm a big believer that it's one thing to have a great experience um, it's another thing entirely to understand how you had a great experience because if you can understand it then you get to replicate it if you can deconstruct it and see what you did and how you did it and why you did it and what principles you lent on and what frameworks and what mental structure you use then it becomes a principle for you and now you'll have another one of those kind of problems that you can use that principle from to quote Ray Dalio so here's what I did um, number one I started with responsibility so I, I have drummed into my own head that life is unfair I remember the first time I came to terms with that that life is unfair and prior to that I, I, I didn't think it was I thought life is fair good things happen to good people and if you work hard you are rewarded and it all works out and I just zoomed out a little and a couple of trips to Uganda to see some severe poverty kind of really floored me to go hang on a minute hang on no 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 life is not fair in fact life is incredibly unfair and somehow I am the recipient of some incredible fortune I didn't deserve to be born into the family I did and yet here I am no more deserving than my brother in Uganda and yet I I have been given so much and he's been given so little so that was that was devastating when I realized that and I I didn't know what to do with that privilege for a while in fact that paralyzed me um, until I rethought it and the metaphor that helped me was to consider that, you know, imagine a friend of mine had had a car accident or even a birth defect and was, un- was unable to use his legs, confined to a wheelchair, and to empathise with his position, I cut my own legs off and bound myself to a wheelchair so that I could understand his pain and, and was on the same level. Would he be happy with that decision? No, of course not. That would be an absolute horror to him. That would be inappropriate. Um, that would be a misuse of my fortune my responsibility is to use my good fortune to the best of my ability to be the best able-bodied human i can if that's who i am born born as so that really helped to go okay so yeah i am privileged that that is true okay well then use my privilege incredibly well incredibly responsibly grow what i've been given um so, so back to responsibility i started with the responsibility and i'm straight into this idea that life is not fair because to spend one ounce of energy moaning my misfortune moaning the fact that i have come all this way spent all this money taken this chance um, worked on the assumption that this was a going to be a very successful conference and that um, it would build my brand and the opportunity to sign clients off the back of a keynote speaking event that was very successful broadcast a 
numerous nations around the world and a large audience hearing me assuming that was exactly how it was going to be no one actually promised that's how it was going to be um, no one held a gun to my head and made me come no one was even paying me to be there I chose to come I wanted to come I wanted to be here badly enough to not need any of those certainties any of those guarantees so who am I blaming here for this predicament that I'm in whose fault is it no one's fault I'm here I wanted to be here and so then amazingly I watched myself write this down and the temptation obviously was then would then be to to then be hard on myself what an idiot like why would anybody do that with so little certainty why would anyone find themselves in this position that is a foolish thing you've done Jamin but I did not spend one moment in that blame and self-judgment what I did was was notice how wonderful that was and I acknowledged myself because like all we've got a story right so what would be the point of focusing on a story that is unable to get me what I want what I want is still to have an amazing trip so to to run the story about how stupid I am what what value would that provide me who cares what's true or false who cares what's right or wrong pick the story most likely to get you the result that you want and so the story I ran was uh, how, how extraordinarily brave courageous adventurous I am and what amazing amazingly high levels of internal certainty I possess to be here to have found a way to bring my son on this trip with so little certainty yet here I am and we are going to have a great time together we will make this trip work so that that beginning and and then listing all the wonderful things about my decision making all the beautiful aspects of my personality my character my confidence my certainty that got me in this room that got me on that plane that was enabled me to pitch to Catherine in a way that she didn't just agree to but blessed that's that's all beautiful stuff that's all high level success I am a very successful person to be in this room no matter what happens next no matter how this goes I am succeeding at life I am living an adventurous life a beautiful life a meaningful life a life that blesses others a life that gives myself every single chance for things to go well I was then I was then reminded of the Hal Elrod morning no not the morning miracle the, the miracle equation if you haven't read that book, it's, it is one of the great books. Um, it's like all the great frameworks. I think the, the person who um, does the best work with frameworks is not the person who invent, invents the framework, but who makes it explicit, who observes it, deconstructs certain models it. And so he's observed miracles in the world and said how do they happen is there a way of understanding miracles that is not miraculous that is not magic that is not abstract that can be understood and replicated and his equation is miracles happen when unwavering faith and extraordinary action combine when when you believe when you hold fast to the dream when with unwavering certainty with wholeheartedness and then do the thing that that gives that the best chance to work and again and again and again that there is where miracles happen and i watched myself go yes jamie you are giving yourself every opportunity of having a miraculous experience of life by your unwavering faith and your extraordinary action 
you are winning. And so the energy started to turn this wave of nausea and disappointment and dejection that had washed over me. It's turning already. I can, I can feel it. So the first was responsibility. The second was to acknowledge the wonder of my own internal certainty and my belief in myself. Um, so third and similarly was I, I focused on what was there rather than what was missing so of course there were a bunch of things missing from that experience that I thought would be there but what would be the point in focusing on what was missing I would miss every every single thing that was there what was still the opportunity there what was still the grace in this moment in this experience in this building in this group of people that was still there and so I I saw an extraordinary opportunity in that moment and, and I took it. And so then from there, the fourth thing was I reached inside myself and, and I found the absolute best of myself in that moment. Even though the circumstances weren't what I expected and they weren't ideal, I found the absolute best of me. And, and as I was refining how I would open my presentation and how I would deliver what I was going to do. This excitement grew inside me about the opportunity to hear uh, to hear myself deliver what I was about to deliver. And I wrote down, Jamin, I'm, I'm just so excited to hear and to watch what's about to happen. I can't wait to see what comes out of your mouth. I can't wait to watch what happens when you stand on that stage and grab that microphone. Oh, this is going to be great. And so... I almost used, well, well in, in many facts I did, in many facts, in many ways, I, I did use that opportunity as, as an, an experience of watching myself on the world stage, of speaking to myself, um, you know, thinking, well, sure, there's a bunch of people in this room and who knows what they receive. And there's a bunch of people watching online, great. Who knows what they receive, but primarily here I am and I've found the best of me for this moment and here I, I've got the microphone. So let's go. Uh, and it was magnificent. I, I, I wrote on a couple of social posts that I think it was in the top three presentations I've ever done and, and maybe, probably, the, the number one. If I, if I get to review this with a bit, a bit more time, it, it will probably come out as the, the most meaningful, powerful, uh, the, the best keynote presentation I've ever done. And I got off there... Reminiscing, thinking about the Mark Twain quote: "The two most important days of your life are the day you were born, and the day you realise why, the day you discover why." And as I was watching myself deliver this, I'm like, "I see you, Jamie. I I know who you are, and I know what you're doing. This is it. This is you, in your space." And over the years, I have mentioned this on a couple of podcasts. Over the years, a great source of pain. In, in my life and I've shared this with my family often is, is the discrepancy between what I see when I have my eyes, eyes closed about my life and then when I open them what I see in, in front of me it's, it's different I picture myself living at a level and then I open my eyes and it's not the same and so that discrepancy that, that bridge the gap between the ideal and the real has caused me a lot of difficulty and not knowing how to close that gap doing everything I can and, and so getting off the stage and reflecting on it over the last two weeks, it no longer matters. It, it just does not. I, I know who I am and, and I, I know what I'm doing. Fast forward a week later, after I'd been to Guatemala and we were on our way home flying across the US and from St. Louis to LA, which 
in itself was a breathtaking experience. I had the, um, the luxury of a window seat looking out over the US and there's so much to look at across the country. You fly across the middle of Australia and then, you know, it's a pretty barren landscape at the US. There is so much happening. There are so many people. There is so much endeavor. There is so much farming land and there are cities and there is the Grand Canyon and then there is the Rocky Mountains. Just a, a, an amazing amount of stuff happening below me. And as I was watching that and reflecting on the words I was writing to myself was was okay um it it actually doesn't matter now i I see you i know who you are and i know what you're doing i know who you are and i know what you're doing and i see it with my eyes closed with my eyes open there is there is nothing to prove you're here doing the thing that you were born to do and so coming home and and certainly in the last couple of days sorry the last couple of weeks off the back of that just the the renewed certainty and energy and focus around that. I, I, know, I know who I am and I know what I'm doing. I know who I am and I know what I'm doing. I know who I am and I know what I'm doing. And then uh, watching how that plays out socially because just because I know who I am doesn't mean you have to know who I am. And that's useful to understand. It took me a little while, a couple of days, just to process that because I thought, wow, now that I know, know who I am and know what I'm doing, does that automatically mean every single person sees it the same way well no of course not you know however you understand the jesus story it's very useful to reflect that uh, jesus the incarnation of god on the earth you know is walking around doing things and most people the vast majority of people did not know who he was or what he was doing even though he was right there in front of him in front of them only a handful of people you know, to, to him who has eyes eyes and, and ears, let him see and hear. And so um, I had an experience last week of someone sitting at my dining table uh, telling, you know, sharing openly about their, their dilemma they have around being in the limelight, feeling like they have a message to share, but just being burdened with great insecurity and feeling like, who are they and do they have the right to do that? And others prefer them to speak, but they just are so nervous in their own value and worth and the insecurity eats them alive. And they're sitting there at my table telling me about their insecurity, about doing the thing that they know they should do. And and I'm right I'm right there. Like I, I the, the person who's devoted, you know, more thought and energy than anyone else in the world to insecurity as a solvable problem, sitting right there across the table. Um but they don't reach out and ask. They don't know that there's an opportunity for transformation. And perhaps they're not even, they're not ready or they don't, that's not what they really want. But, you know, thinking about your own life and thinking about your own experience of this, that, that it really is your job to know who you are. That, that is your job. And, and to know that once you know that, um, that doesn't automatically guarantee everyone else falls down in front of you and, and makes the way. But it, it just means you know what you're sitting on. So in every situation, uh, you know what's inside, you. and there are, there are times and places where you get to bring that to the earth. And and I think the aim of the game seems to be to find as many places, the right places, the places of openness, the places of receptivity, to find your crowd, to find your space, to find where you fit, to find the match for the gift you have, for the calling you have, for the essence you have, and and the problems that are most aligned to that. And, and to marry those two together. That, that to me seems like a beautiful quest for a very meaningful life. So a great experience of growth for me. And, 
And look, I, I did get great business development out of that trip as well. Signed clients, got booked for new speaking events. Um, signed clients who were just watching the experience of me being over there and felt now was the time to reach out. So very rewarding experience and so glad that I went. Uh, and just one last piece in this that is important for you to hear from me is that um, there are levels and layers of insecurity. I've explained this numerously that the aim is to be completely unhindered here. And when you are unhindered here, then you take new territory and you enlarge your experience of life and you do bigger and better things. And then you bang your head on at the next level of insecurity, a more subtle form of the narrative that says you're this good but not that good. You can go this far but not that far. And so um, I noticed there's a theme uh, in my life, perhaps one of the more destructive narratives, m- more destructive and more subtle that that trips me up and there was another version of that that got exposed on this trip and that is um you know at my at my worst i think early on in my entrepreneurial journey the number of times i would apologize i would say sorry um just assuming i'd got it wrong assuming i'd said too much or said the wrong thing or i hadn't thought it through or you know, had overpromised and underdelivered. So I would apologise profusely to others, overly, um, but more destructively, I would apologise to myself, to God, to the world, like the un- the unconscious patterning, the the language pattern, the the self-destructive, undermining language patterns. Is that when I was lost in my own thoughts, when I was dwelling on embarrassing situations that hadn't worked it worked out i would hear myself say out loud or or quiet in my head i'm sorry i'm just sorry i'm so sorry again and again i would be saying sorry to no one and everyone and just and i would shrivel back every time that the effect of that language would be to pull me back from my age to weaken me and so uh, the first version of overcoming that was to realize there was a an agreement I'd made that I wasn't one of the big boys. So I, w- I wasn't a winner. I didn't really belong at the top. I was a person who tried hard but never really succeeded. That was who I was at my core, based on some embarrass- embarrassing sporting experiences in younger years. Uh, but that was playing out in, in my writing, my speaking, my coaching. And, um, and I... I handled that head on and went back and deconstructed that and replaced that narrative with a much more beautiful one Um, and then I I didn't feel limited in that space at all until a number of years later when uh, the no pants dream surfaced and uh, you may have heard me tell this story but those of you who hadn't the pattern around showing up somewhere important thinking I was fully prepared yet then looking down realizing I had no pants on and being deeply embarrassed and when I journaled that and understood the point of that dream the message to myself was hey Jamin you're still showing up like the boy you're showing up like you don't belong here that you are not qualified that you are wrong that you are unprepared that you don't know what you know that you need to defer to someone else's wisdom that someone else has better is more qualified knows more than you and you should defer and back down and that's that's your unconscious commitment you you've bought into this agreement and it's showing up here and it's weakening you. Um, because the real thing is you're a teacher now. You're not a student anymore. Know what you know. Show up with your big boy pants on. Deliver certainty. You have done the work. You know your stuff. 
Um, and so off the back of that, I stopped reading personal development books. I stopped listening to personal development podcasts. I stop comparing myself to anyone else. What would be the value if I know what I know, that I'm not in a learning phase? Um, even though being accused of being in an echo chamber, I am here to deliver what I know. And so I had a beautiful experience of freedom and progress in there. But then um, three nights ago, I had my first dream in, in over nine months uh, of having no pants on. In fact, I was completely naked this time. And whereas in past, I've had to have you know a number of those dreams before I'm willing to get the message, just one version of that stopped me in my tracks three nights ago and I woke up and went, what, what is happening here? What is it? And I was immediately taken back to, at the start of the year, um, one of my friends, one of my good friends had said, oh, here's my word for the year, here's my theme for the year, what's yours, Jamin? And I thought, oh, I don't really know, I don't, hadn't put a lot of weight on that in the past, so I'm not sure. But then, but then thinking about it, you know, if I had to pick a word, uh, the word unapologetic feels right feels accurate and the more I thought about it I, I felt certain yeah I think that is my word um, to know what I know to stand straight to deliver certainty front foot not back foot unapologetic but then uh, the point of my dream was to remind me that that had only been a word in practice that had not filtered down into my actual presence and I am still apologizing for being who I am and knowing what I know on the subtlest of levels and I it is breaking the agreement, the profound agreement of that experience in the room that I know who I am and I know what I'm doing. There is nothing to apologize. There is nothing other than the purity of my essence, the purity of my work, the purity of my heart, the purity of my love showing up in the world. There is nothing to apologize for in that space. Now, please hear me. I'm not saying I can't get it wrong or I don't need to learn any other thing. But I am saying I don't, right now, It is I'm not in a learning phase around insecurity. I'm learning about geology and anthropology and history and woodwork and agriculture and farming. I'm, there's lots of things I'm learning, but I am not learning about insecurity right now. My job is to know what I know and deliver what I know with certainty and to solve a very important problem in the world that causes an extreme amount of unnecessary suffering. Um, And so to reflect on that, to apologize to myself already going back on an agreement on a very uh, subtle level, but quite soon after that profound experience in the US um, and then back to that agreement, I know who I am, I know what I'm doing, I know my place in the world, I know my work and I'll do that with my whole heart and I don't need to see any fruit I don't need to see any results that is not of any importance to me right now that is not what I need to keep me going I've seen who I am and I like it and I'm committed to that wholeheartedly so that word unapologetic so if I seem um, a little full on at times um, you can take that for what it is I got accused of being a little full on in my presentation too by the way in fact um, I got called crass a few people could not wait to come up after the presentation in Vegas and, and say, do you know how many swear words you said in that presentation? You're really crass. Uh, I'm, I'm like, I, I don't know how I said wanker. and I, I, called, I called world leaders insecure wankers and maybe dropped some bullshit somewhere. I, I, it wasn't anything extreme. And I thought the irony of that. I've grown up in American culture, you know, Samuel L. Jackson... 
um, Joe Rogan, Mark Manson, um, Pulp Fiction, The Hangover, uh, Talladega Nights. Like, there are some swearing mofos. They're all American. But you get to America and you say a few swear words and you get a bit precious about it. Uh, the irony, I thought, was um, hilarious. You know, so I just told them to stick it up their ass and went about my day. And look, I, I wasn't there for them anyway. I, the primary experience of that room was I got to watch myself deliver my best stuff on the world stage and it was a lot of fun. So it didn't really matter that uh, a few of their sensitivities were tickled. But you might have the same experience. You might want me to be a certain way or say certain things a certain way. and I might not quite fit your mould. And that'll be okay and I won't apologise for that. I just, what would be the point? That, that would be a disservice to you. And then I'd have dreams about being naked again. And they're really awkward. It's not a lot of fun. So I'm not going to do that. So it's taken me a couple of weeks to debrief all the learnings from the US. But yeah, I like how that came out. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Stay tuned for the next one. If you missed the last episode, I snuck a little episode in uh, without a lot of fanfare, and that was my good friend Sean Steele interviewed me on my own podcast, and I interviewed him on his podcast. We played a little fun game there. So you may be an opportunity to hear a bit more about me and my backstory that I don't share. I'll leave it there for today, and I'll talk to you again soon, real soon. Bye for now.